Welcome to the Liberated Leader Podcast. I'm your hostess, B. Chan. Together, we'll connect with leaders in the psychedelic space and explore the creations they birthed into this world, all in hopes to bring the psychedelic renaissance into the 21st century and spread the message of inner healing. Because when we heal ourselves, we heal the world. So let's get liberated. Hey everyone, this is B Chan. I am the founder and creator of Akita Agency, and we help psychedelic integration coaches, guides, therapists evolve their business from a private one-to-one to one-to-many client model by co-creating evergreen funnels that lead to online courses and group coaching programs. And so um, this podcast is really a way for us to be interacting, highlighting, and showcasing the leaders in our psychedelic community. Now would be a good time for me to introduce myself, tell you a bit about me and my journey, and I hope that resonates with you and hope that helps you. I would say I had a pretty typical um, Asian (laughs) immigrant family upbringing where, um, you know, there was a bit of domestic violence. Um, I grew up really sheltered with um, a lot of unconscious parenting, which basically silenced my voice. So children are to be obedient, to respect their elders, to basically listen to everything that they say and do what they want, um, because it is a, it's a face related thing. You want to give them face or, you know, not bring shame to the family and whatnot. And so I grew up um, equating love to achievement. So when you get the highest grade in class or when you got into this school, that's something that your parents like to brag about. And so in order for you to get attention or in order for me to get attention, that's that's how I needed to perform. And so it was almost like, um, sorry, not almost, it, it was essentially never enough mentality. So, oh, you got 99% on your test? Why didn't you get 100? Um, you got an A? Why not A plus? That definitely impacted um, self-love, self-worth, self-confidence, self-esteem. Um, and, and that drive for ambition just never really left because that's how you were conditioned. That's how I was conditioned um, when I was young. And so my life basically consisted of normal, normal regular school, uh, piano lessons, Chinese school, and also all these like extracurricular activities like uh, I think we went to like tennis camp, badminton, drawing classes, ice skating, summer vacation, Bible school, even though we weren't religious and ballet classes, like literally everything in between. Um, but I really like that that exposed me to a bunch of different things, um, which I think is good. But I never got the chance to decide which one of those I liked I never got asked and also I didn't know that I could say something about it so my mom just picked a certain thing for example piano it's like yeah this is what you're gonna do and since I was really young I think I was like five when I started I it just became a normal everyday life and I didn't know that I had a choice to actually quit um yeah I just didn't even know that I had that option and so what happened was I studied with the Royal Conservatory of Music in London all the way till the end. So I went from level one to 10 to level 11 is your ARCT performers level. And I got that by the time I was in grade 10, grade 11 in school. Um, And then I went and I studied 
piano pedagogy, which is like the teacher's level. And at that time they were rebranding it. So I did pedagogy number one and I taught for a few years. And this was all when I was still in high school. So I had my own like solo recital. I, I you know, got to that high level and I, I graduated that and basically was a classically trained pianist that competed in competition for money and medals and, and like medallions and stuff like that since I was young and throughout my high school. Um, coupled with uh, Chinese school on Saturdays where we were learning how to speak. Uh, so we spoke Cantonese at home because my parents were from Hong Kong, uh, but we were learning Mandarin at that time. And um, yeah, reading and writing and about the history of it and like Confucius and, you know, all that type of stuff. And once we graduated from that school, we went into private tutoring. And so I had a teacher who was from Taiwan um, and, and we were learning quite advanced like Chinese history and stuff like that, which was, um, well, I've forgotten all of it now. <laughs> and, and poetry and whatnot, Chinese poems from Chinese philosophers like back in the day. Um, but yeah, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool because not a lot of people were doing that. Um, but I didn't understand the type of pressure that put on me in, at such a young age. And, um, and because I didn't understand, I had nothing to compare with, right? So because I didn't understand, I would say I came out with it um, being more uh, like diligent, more disciplined, and understanding what commitment meant. Because, for example, for piano, it's not just practicing or memorizing pieces, right? You're also taking music history lessons and music theory and learning how to compose and like, you know, harmony and all that type of stuff. So that took up a lot of time, plus competitions, you're prepping for it, and also exams, like almost on an annual basis. Um, so yeah, there's that. And basically that whole um, love equals achievement thing progressed into my university years where, you know, my... <laughs> piano portion of my life has now um, concluded and once I went into university I kind of went a bit crazy because when I was younger it was so it was such a controlled environment that my mom just kind of uh, she just kind of um, controlled my schedule and so once I went to university like I was you know had a part-time job made my own money and whatever they couldn't really control me to that extent and so I did go a little bit crazy in terms of you know I didn't come home or <laughs> I didn't tell them I wasn't coming home or like I came home at 5 a.m in the morning and they didn't they couldn't really say anything um I failed a couple of classes well I failed one class I lost my scholarship um like it just kind of like went off the the opposite end um um but I, I feel like I found my way back because in the end I did a study abroad to Taipei when I was 19 and that has always been um, the seed that kind of grew for my um, the, the, the impression that Taiwan or like Asia has left on me never left me wow um, to taking advantage of uh, co-ops co-op program internship programs um, throughout university and then by the time I graduated I literally went from job to job to job each one better than the last of course right I was trying to build a career um, and I did that for six seven years and like you know being a homeowner by the time I was 25 buying way too early it was a great it was a great price that I got but like buying way too early when I wasn't ready 
for that by being peer pressured and being led by my parents to be like well now that you graduated and you're making money what are you going to do with it obviously the next logical thing to do is actually you know invest in property even though i wasn't ready for it i was literally the only single person in my whole entire building of like like 30 floors um that was single like on my floor alone it was just all families or people who were coupled up so feeling out of place <laughs> and then also working in very highly highly male dominated industries where I was in a role um, where I worked with a lot of managers and people who were my parents age and they kind of had to listen to me um, that definitely made me uh, mature a lot faster because when you say something you need to put weight behind it and learning how to um, bond with people who are so different than you uh, that was something that I had to I had to learn and quickly if I wanted to get any results um, in the places that I worked at but you know every time I went to a new job I made more money I got that title and and you know got that recognition and whatnot um, and and I was like achieving by societal standards it actually made me feel so much more empty inside it's like so what if I'm making six figures? So what if I bought my place? So what if I, you know, have a nice fancy car? Like what? That's not adding value, actual value to my life. And so when I realized by like the sixth or whatever, seventh job that I hopped to, um, that it really wasn't like this feeling of emptiness wasn't going to go away. Um, I did something really drastic. <laughs> is um, I quit my job and I bought a one-way ticket to Asia and I went to Chiang Mai, Thailand because at that time um, there's this thing, this was three years ago, and there's this thing called a digital nomad. Mysterious thing to me that I'm like, oh my God, people can live like this. People can work online, make enough money, and then they can travel to all these different places and it pays for their lifestyle. And they're their own boss and they get to pick and choose who they work with, when they work, what type of work they do and whatnot. This is so cool. This is exactly what I want. I want that freedom. I want this independence. I want this autonomy. And so I did it. <laughs> I, I went there, um, met a whole bunch of people who thought exactly the same as me and who wanted that goal and who were actually on the way or have already achieved that and they've been doing it for years and so that led me to my first um experience traveling by myself it was really scary it, it was so worth it <laughs> like it was so worth it so i spent most of my time in chiang mai thailand um went down to the thai islands as well had some fun in bangkok and then the other half of the time i was actually in taipei taiwan because of um, I just felt really nostalgic for me. I just wanted to be there. I still had friends from when I studied abroad. I understood the culture, the language, the food, the people so much more so than my actual, than, you know, where my parents actually came from, Hong Kong. I definitely don't feel the same type of connection to that um, city state. And so, yeah, I split my time between Taipei and Chiang Mai. And in between, I would go into like Hong Kong, Macau, China. I would be in Tokyo. I went to Burma and, and so on and so forth. I grew in so many different ways. I started my entrepreneurial journey. I taught myself how to do marketing. I worked with a lot of different people, subcontracted myself out to bigger agencies um, and just collaborated with people in different ways. And I started my 
I would say my spiritual awakening, really, really taking a deep dive into um, myself, how I grew up, my triggers, my traumas, my conditioning, um, learning about the universe, learning about how energy works, and being surrounded by people who also believed in the same thing. And we were able to discuss things and teach each other um, different modalities. Everything from manifesting to affirmations to taking like biohacking and taking care of your body. And I was in masterminds and I organized my own masterminds with people that I met about how to level up our business, how to level up our lifestyle, how to level up um, really anything that we want. And we all had our own. Well, I made sure that we all had our own specialty. So we actually are the subject matter expert within that little group. So we can teach each other things, of course, in the same vein. Um, I got into to psychedelics. <laughs> what I mean by spiritual journey is throughout my time in Asia, I got into a crowd where um, it was all about like holistic healing. And so every so often we would do like a sound bath healing or we would do meditation or there's some sort of yoga class to take. I, I met this um, Akashic Records reader who became great friends with me, who taught me about manifesting who taught me about you know angel numbers and how to pull cards uh, how to interpret dreams and actually in Chiang Mai is um, where I had my first psychedelic encounter and also where I got into the world of plant medicine as well so um, I was up in Pai Thailand which is just a few hours north of Chiang Mai and they're actually it's like the little hippie town right um, it's a little hippie town and they're kind of, they're known for mushroom shakes. And so they have their magic mushrooms up there. And basically what they will do with it is it's a really watered down version. And that's why I didn't really feel anything. But, um, what they would do is they'll boil the mushroom in water and they'll mix it with, um, some sort of juice, like Kool-Aid or something. And then like they'll, they'll sell it to you like a tourist for like 20 bucks pop. And so all I felt was like a little body high. And that was my first experience, right? And my friends were saying, yeah, you'll see, like, if you look at the table and there's like lines on it, you'll see it like moving and dancing, like you'll feel this and that. And I just totally did not get that experience at all. And so I thought, okay, well, I don't know, maybe they watered it down too much. Maybe, you know, I'll, I'll try something else, right? I'll try it somewhere else next time. And so there's that. Uh, that was my first experience ever and that was a little bit of a letdown but like I did feel really relaxed I, I felt buzzed and, and I'm like okay like th that was a good first try um, and then the second time I had shrooms again was actually down in the Thai islands and I bought a package of like dried mushrooms like the size of my palm like around this much and um, I was at a friend's place I ate the whole thing um, and I also didn't feel much I don't think I felt anything actually. Um, it wasn't completely dry. She put it in the, the fridge, I remember. And when she took it out, it was like kind of wet. So maybe like, I don't know, maybe it just wasn't as potent. Um, and so what I ended up doing that time was like, no, I, I want this experience. Um, I'm looking for it. And so I mixed it with cannabis and MDMA. And finally I felt something. And it was this really euphoric feeling of, everything's so perfect in my life like I'm exactly where I need to be this is my path like I'm supposed to go like I, I I just know I feel it that this is where I'm supposed to be right 
And um, I did that a couple days in a row. <laughs> and until um, like the third day, I woke up just feeling really, really greasy. And I think it was the come down from the M, even though it was, I'm, I was told it's pure. Um, I just felt gross. Like I just felt like I was so greasy and like the toxins were like coming out from my body and I, I just couldn't wait to take a shower to just kind of clean off that type of feeling. Um, and as I reflected on the last, the prior two days, I realized that, you know, that euphoric feeling, um, I actually felt that before completely sober before I had any psychedelics in my body before. I was actually in Chiang Mai. I was really on point with my spiritual um, routines, evening and morning. And one night I was, um, and by by my routines, I mean in the morning, I'd wake up, I'd meditate, I'll do some yoga. I'll say my affirmations as I'm walking to the gym. Um, I'd meet my trainer there. I do a full hour of um, pretty intense workout, come home, shower, have breakfast, uh, before I started work. So I was pouring into my own cup first before I allowed other things to take my energy. And then in the evening, it was pretty similar, except it was like a winding down, um, thing. So instead of, um, instead of going to the gym, right, I'd be like reading a book. I'd be like writing in my gratitude journal. I'll be doing forgiveness practices and, you know, I'll be pulling cards. That's when I'll be shuffling and pulling from my angel deck. Um, and so because I was so consistent one night as I was falling asleep in my bed, I just felt the same feeling. I was euphoric. I, I literally remember thinking to myself, my life is so perfect. Like I have nothing to complain about. Like I'm so lucky. I'm so fortunate that everything just lined up for me. It was really scary for me to quit this career that I've been building for the last six years and buy a one-way ticket to some place and country I've never been to. I don't know anybody and don't even speak the language. And then to have met a wonderful group of people who I really aligned with and are living the life that I want to be living and showing me that that is proof that it's real, that I can also achieve that. And everything just working out for me the way that it's supposed to or the way that it has. Um, yeah, I was just falling asleep in bliss. That's what I, that's the only way that I can describe it. And so knowing that I've had that experience completely sober, I thought, then why do I need to take anything to feel that way? Like if I've done it before, I can access it. I don't need to, you know, have the shortcut way to get there. And so, um, and so that was that. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll just treat this as like a bucket list item and like, you know, check, there you go on to the next thing. Let's not, let's not do this again. Um, until, um, I went to Taipei. Now, before I left Chiang Mai, I actually had my first ever, um, plant medicine ceremony. Uh, it was Rappe, Kombo and Sanaga. And so my friend ended up going to this one person and she had a really, really, really amazing time was telling me about this. And so I got convinced and I was, so I convinced myself that I should go as well. And, um, with my, it was first time getting rapé and I remember I almost fainted. Um, it was my friend and I, we had a private ceremony with Max, who was the person who facilitated everything for us. Thank you, Max. And, um, we got served rapé first cause it's, it's grounding. It's like basically what rapé is tobacco, tobacco, 
leaves grinded up with other herbs and it's mixed together and it's basically shot up your nose so the person would put it in this little like v-shaped pipe and they would like blow it up your nose and so in both sides so like you know one at a time and what it's supposed to do it's supposed to help you ground um i'm not a big fan of rapé or hapé other some people call it um because it it stings so much and it's just like this yeah feeling of it, it's almost like you ate too much wasabi and like the tears are coming out of your eyes and like your sinuses are like clearing up and you know some people like that I, i'm just like not the hugest fan of it like i'll do it if i have to but um i prefer not to <laughs> and so that was my first time doing it and i was i was i was the first one that went and then my friend went and so he was like watching me have this done and the first side it blew that got blown out my nose um, I instantly just felt dizzy. It was like hot. It was itchy. It was spicy. And I, my vision was kind of getting blurry. And I remember I like, I like grabbed Max's knee and I like squeezed on it just to let him know, Hey, like I'm not doing okay right now. I'm not ready for the other side. Um, but anywho, um, that, that was my first experience with rapid. And then the combo is basically the, the combo was good. So actually Sorry, backtracking with rapé. At that point, I actually felt um, a tingling sensation within my hands. And I didn't know. Well, it was a new sensation for me, so I just didn't really know what was going on. But I felt I felt things tingling. And so with combo, um, it is a it, it is it's a Brazilian tree frog, I believe. And there's poison on its skin that you can harvest and what they'll do is they'll burn your skin the top two layers and then they would put this poison in you like on the burns so that it can go into your bloodstream and basically um, physically like restart your immune system so that any kind of um, ailments that you might have like an infection or bacterial whatever it can try to clear all that out of your system and so you're purging you're puking and you know or you're sweating it out, you're shaking, you're, I don't know, crying or, or some sort of way of getting that out of your body. And so from, for most people and for myself, I was purging. I was like puking a lot. And um, I remember as I was puking, um, my hands totally like just like clawed up like this, like almost I like couldn't even open it. And uh, I remember Max telling me to just breathe. And so I'm like, okay, then I just need to, I just need to like, breathe through the moment and that's all I was doing just keeping that in my mind just be like okay just breathe long deep breaths just keep going until it subsided and it did and then my elbows were on top of the bucket like this right and finally when my hands were able to open up um, I felt these electric jolts jumping between my fingertips like on both sides and even to this day when I meditate or like I really focus on it I still feel it's obviously to a way lesser degree I still feel that little um I don't know how else to call it but that electricity jolt so I think that's been really cool and kind of my first introduction to energy right and um the last one was Sanaga which the beautiful nickname of lightning to the eyes or lightning for the eyes and they are eye drops and also a bunch of like herbs um 
ground it into a powder and uh, some sort of liquid solution, maybe just water, add it to it and they will drip it into your eye and it stings like a bitch. So it's supposed to help you with your vision. Um, I did LASIK eye surgery, so I still have 20-20 and so I didn't feel like it helped me all that much, but um, uh, I appreciate the experience. <laughs> and and um, I felt really light. I felt really clean for the next at least a week or two at least a week or two and so that my that was my first experience going through that and um, yes it is not a psychedelic right you're completely present you're not tripping out somewhere else like you don't really have that luxury and so it is a pretty it's a pretty strong reset um would i recommend everyone to do it probably not um, <laughs> would, would I do it again myself? I don't like the fact that, okay, so my dots, when they burned my skin, I had three dots, by the way, and um, they got infected as it was healing. And so it's scarred on my body. Like it's a lot, it's really visible, right? And I think I'm just not a fan of modifying my body. And so if I can get combo in some other way without changing my physical um, I would I would do it again but because of the burning and the scarring and whatnot and especially having dry skin um, we do people with dry skin we do scar a lot easier so that is my first experience into the plant medicine world so after combo then I did the shrooms and then I was like okay you know I'll just check out my bucket list I'm fine and it wasn't until maybe six months later I was in Taipei and I kept hearing about LSD. It's like, oh, you know, um, microdosing and productivity and focus and like, you know, it helps you uh, with so much stuff. And I was just like, yeah, maybe I should revisit that. Maybe I should try this one, right? Maybe I'll add this to my bucket list. Try it just one time and see how I feel. And so I bought a tab off of a friend and I had a, another friend sit me for the day and we were out, out in nature. I took the full tab and I also didn't get the experience that my friend told me um, that I would. I felt a little bit buzzed, uh, a bit relaxed, and that, that was about it. And so again, I chalked it up to, okay, maybe like my body just doesn't process this stuff. So, okay, check off my bucket list. I don't have to look at this again. I'm, I'm done. I'm over it. Um, and then it wasn't until... I went to Mexico. I was there for seven months. Uh, I was going from city to city. And most of the other digital nomads and expats I met were very pro-psychedelic, uh, very pro-sacred um, ceremonies and plant medicine and all that. And so me having fallen into this crowd once again, um, I decided to try it. And so there were many times where I was just tripping with friends or we literally like rented a mansion in Mexico for a weekend and we all were taking psilocybin truffles um, mixed with like cannabis and you know whatever else and we just stayed up all night talking it's like talk therapy for all of us and getting to know one another and having um, insights and sharing lessons and you know all the things that you do within a community to bond and in Mexico, I had two 
psychedelic plant ceremonies with people who really, really did um, hold space really well. So my plant, first plant ceremony uh, was supposed to be ayahuasca. I had done all my research, um, found the local vendors, I vetted them, or I tried to vet them anyways, I contacted them, wanted to talk to them. Uh, but you know, it, it was in Mexico, like the, the information online about themselves is scarce, like you probably won't find a website, um, maybe a Facebook page at best. Um, and it would have minimal information on it. So how you go about finding them is actually talking to friends or joining the WhatsApp groups, expat WhatsApp groups, and then asking people for their recommendations. And that's what I ended up doing. And so I had this one that was highly recommended by a lot of people that I knew that personally went there and still continue to go there. And I was going to go. However, I met somebody who was going to go at the same night I was. And I met them a couple days before in person, sober. I just wanted to see because I knew I didn't know people that was going I wanted to like make some sort of a connection first and we would go together or have that kind of safe bonding and what I realized was I don't feel comfortable with this person um it was it was quite an energy drain for me to be around them and so I thought okay if this is me feeling drained already and depleted already completely sober when I am at my most vulnerable right when I'm in an altered state how would I feel being in close quarters with this other person and it didn't feel good that's my intuition telling me that this is not the one for me to go to and so I decided to listen to my intuition and um and at that point I actually was quite nervous about ayahuasca because from the research that I did from my own network it was pretty 50 50 like half of the people did not have a good experience and the other half did and um the type of stories that i was told or that i heard about the the not so good experiences that really freaked me out and so i wanted to make sure that i had the information that i needed to feel safe in order to go ahead with it and so at that point when i decided to not go to this ayahuasca um provider or this retreat i thought okay let me try to find another ceremony that is not as intense to kind of like warm me up to that, right? Like a baby step to that. And I thought to find a psilocybin. I was doing my research. I was trying to find it. Nothing came up. There was just in the city that I was in at that moment, there was nothing happening. Um, and so I contacted, contacted a few providers and this one couple who have been doing it for decades um, I ended up talking to for a whole hour and just asking them questions about this and that and like how do they do it and how do I prepare and what, what I feel during it and after like they basically took the time to answer all my questions and they tried to source <laughs> psilocybin for me so they could have the ceremony for me but they couldn't get the supply and so what ended up happening was they invited me to a small like four people um that they were going to do that weekend for 5-MeO DMT so 5-MeO DMT is the spirit molecule it is deemed as the most intense um experience on psychedelics um 
I don't know if that's factual or opinion or just an opinion. Um, but it, yeah, it was quite intense. So for me, and I, I hum and hot about it because I'm like, okay, if it's more intense than ayahuasca, what, like that, that's not a baby step. <laughs> like, well, what am I doing? Right. So I thought about it and I thought, you know what, if I start at the very top and I make it through that alive, right. And, and like I do it and I'm okay. And, and I've done it. Then I as why would I be scared by Aya then? Like, it doesn't make sense. And so um, I convinced myself of that and I went and I did 5-MEO. The ceremony was during the day and um, it was really, really, really small. It was me, my friend, um, and like two or three other people, five participants max and two facilitators in their um, casienda, in their little like, um, I don't know what to call it, like house. In their house, um, in Mexico, in rural Merida, Mexico. And first, we started. Um, we opened up the ceremony with a prayer, where we sent blessings, prayed, and like got blessed by the four different directions. And we build the fire log together. And I thought that was quite symbolic. That was a really good open. And you know, there were poems that were read and um, and whatnot. And then. We started with rape, and this one was strong. Um, this is the second time I've been served rape, and it was stronger than when I did my combo. And uh, I knew that I was gonna get dizzy, so I sat right down. I'm like, okay, I'm cross-legged. I sat down. I'm like, okay, cool, I'm ready. And it shot up my nose, and the same feeling of like it's spicy, like it stings, like that wasabi feeling came back, except so much more intense that um, I started just swirling. <laughs> There's no other way for me to put it. So it's like, um, you know those, those Russian dolls, but then the base of it is like in a circle. It's not actually straight. And it just like rotates. I was basically swerving in a circle involuntarily. Like I wasn't making myself do that. I was just, I was just moving in that direction, like big circles, what it felt like. And then as time subsided, it became smaller and smaller and smaller. But when that was happening, my vision started to blur. And if you can imagine an old TV set, like back in the 60s or something, and if it's broken, the image of it would actually like slowly go up to the top and then it will repeat itself on the bottom again, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so that was my vision in real life. So whatever I was staring at, the log with the fire at that time, it just like went up. And then from the bottom again and came back up. So I'm just like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Do I even need to do 5-MEO right now? Like, I think this experience is like enough <laughs> for me. Like, this is intense enough. Um, so I knew that subsided. And then it was time to do 5-MEO. And so um, it, they're, they're like crystal shards and it's in a bong. She, they heat it up and um, one when they're ready they'll let you know, then you inhale the, the fume, you inhale the smoke, you hold it into your lungs for as long as you can. I think she said count to 10 or 30 seconds or something, something crazy like that. And then you can slowly blow it out. And when I did that, I immediately fell down. I didn't have enough strength to keep myself upright. I fell backwards onto my, my mat. And because I wasn't the first one to have been served, I saw what um, 
the the initial person did and he fell back and onto his side i'm like oh that's really smart so i won't choke him on slide all right so i fell back and leaned onto my side and i immediately my body just completely melted into the ground and i didn't i couldn't feel my body there, there was no sensation um i didn't know where my body started and where the floor or where the ground the earth ended like we just became one it was just like one thing and i finally saw fractals i'm not a usually not a visual person when i'm on psychedelics but i finally understood oh these are fractals okay cool yeah they're pretty they're colorful um and i ended up puking but there was nothing to puke. I didn't have anything to eat that day. There was nothing to puke at. It was just like saliva. So I'm like, I'm not sure why I'm puking, but okay. And then um, I couldn't move my body. So I just kind of had to like lay there for, I don't know how much time went on. It felt like five minutes. And the whole time I had this mental battle in my head of, okay, this is how I'm feeling right now. I can't feel my body. Is this ego death? But if it's ego death, how can I still be thinking so co coherently? But I think I did. No, I didn't do it. Like, I don't think I did it. Maybe I didn't take enough. Yeah, maybe that's the reason. But like, what is this I'm feeling then? How come I can't get up? How come I can't move my body? So all this internal chatter was happening the whole entire time until I can sit back up and, and like kind of feel back to normal again. And um, when I sat back up, like literally 10 seconds later, my facilitator came back to me and said, I feel like you need a second serving. <laughs> and I said, I knew you were going to say that. So she gave me a second one and down on the floor I went again. And again, I melted into ground and I saw fractals again. Um, and this time, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I got better at it. This time, it was still that internal chatter. Uh, but at least I experienced the first time. So I was familiar with the feelings of it. And this time, I was just trying to tell myself to relax like surrender, surrender, surrender. And I wasn't doing it, I was not doing it. And in the end, um, the ceremony concluded and I just felt, I was journaling a lot about what I learned and I just felt really sad. Like I felt like I failed, you know? Um, I felt like I failed because I didn't reach ego death so let me back up and explain i didn't know that was ego death at that time so what ended up happening was i actually went home and i googled it <laughs> i like was doing research i was looking up okay what does it feel like what is this ego like i've heard of the concept but i didn't know what it felt like what it was supposed to look like and so i was googling it i'm like and then finally i'm like okay so what i did experience was that and so my biggest takeaway from 5meo um was holy shit like i did it i didn't even i wasn't even aware that i reached my goal and i didn't celebrate it right so i basically ruined my moment my experience of it by being so analytical by not trusting um that i am doing what i'm supposed to be doing that i am unaware that I already did it and so like where else in my life am I showing that attitude or that trait or that way of thinking and it's like a lot of different areas when I actually look back at it when I actually analyze you know my life and how I go about it a lot of areas 
And I think that's also, it's not just me. I think most people are like that, to be honest. This is why we need to put into practice experiencing or celebrating all the little things. It's the little victories that stack up to the big ones, right? Making the time to share your win and to celebrate and to tell people about it. And then two weeks later, I had my Aya ceremony. And this time around, I was with a different provider. And a lot of my friends told me they went through hell to get to heaven. And that's like kind of like the typical thing. And I guess I had a little bit of hell. Um, it was out in the jungle. It was one night overnight. I, I did the same kind of strategy, I guess. I reached out to people um, to see if they knew anybody that was going to the same one. And I was introduced to a friend um, who... I was introduced to a friend who was going to the same um, night that I was. And so we met up in person beforehand. Um, and then we went, we took a taxi and went there together the next day. And so we were out in the jungle. We're laying down in the yoga mat. There's, it's literally just, um, you know, we're in a circle around a fireplace. And again, we started with rapé. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh no, I don't like this. Um, I was going to opt out, but I thought, you know what? I'm new to Aya. I don't know what's going to do to me. I don't know how my experience is going to be. I better have some grounding. And so um, I told the person serving, well, first of all, there are multiple, there are, like it was a big group, maybe like seven people who were facilitating, but we were a big group too. We had like, no, it was maybe like seven to 10 people facilitating and we had about like 70 participants. And it was so big that we sectioned it out to like three different campsites. And so... Um, there were about three, there, there were three people serving rapé and we started pretty early in the afternoon, like 2 p.m. or something, like 12 o'clock. And so um, I picked the person who I felt has the most gentle energy. <laughs> and, and I was also watching how they served people and the reaction of those people before I chose. And so I went to this one that I thought um, had the most gentle <laughs> energy. And I said, I just want a little bit, like I don't, I don't need a lot. And he said, okay, butterfly. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. But um, when he served me, then I understood. Like it was such a, the, the most gentlest way to shoot things up somebody's nostril that I barely felt it. I didn't have that sting. I didn't, it didn't really feel that much. It was just really, really, it's just really gentle. I was like, wow, I didn't know. Like a new way to be served. Rape, I had no idea. Um, that that was even possible and so with that baby rapé um, we had a opening ceremony where you know we went over the ground rules and you know what to do what to expect and all that type of stuff and the timing of things and, and finally we got started so everybody went up for their first cup at that time and you know there's it, it takes about like 20 to 40 minutes at least to make it through your digestive digestive system and for you to actually feel the medicine coming on and um, while we were waiting for it to kick in, they were doing a, I don't know what you call it, but they were blowing tobacco at us um, for protection, right? And so when it finally did kick in, um, I heard a lot of people puking around me. There were people puking around me. There were people crying. There were people having full body orgasms. And then I also heard a couple of giggles. <laughs> and I was actually one of those people. Um, I didn't purge in a way that other people were like the puking. I didn't puke. 
um, I yawned a lot. It was like yawn after yawn after yawn. And it got really annoying because like your jaw just opens up so much. But um, it was to the point of, you know, like I'm tripping at this point. And every yawn, a whole galaxy came out of my mouth. So I was like giving birth to creation. I was creating all these different um, solar systems and like planets and stuff like that. It was really cool, actually. And the, the message there was, you are the creator. We are all creators. We're all creators of our life. We're all creators of our universe. We're co-creators in this universe. And if you don't like your current reality, guess what? You created it, which also means you can create something else. If you don't like it, you can change it. You have full power to change it. So don't play a victim. There's no need for that. When initially, when um, it first kicked in, my scary part was I was being eaten alive by things I was scared of, like insects, cockroaches, spiders, tarantula, ants, like everything. In my mind's eye, my body was, I was laying down and it couldn't move. And all these creepy crawlies was, were on me and they were eating my body alive and I couldn't move. There was nothing that I could do about it. But I knew physically that I was, you know, out in the jungle, I was on the yoga mat, I was surrounded by people and I was looking up at the sky. Like I knew that. And so, um, thank goodness, I took this program called TCP by Jim Fortin. It's transformational coaching program. And it's basically a 12 week program where it does talk about uh, your life and spiritual development and, and all this type of stuff. And I knew at that time that a lot of our thoughts are not real. Okay. A lot of it is our interpretation of a certain situation or on a, or of a fact, but it's not actually factual. Our thoughts, you know, this, this is where like the monkey brain comes from, like the, the monkey mind, the endless chatter. It's just stuff that, it's just stuff that like, I don't know, our brain just thinks up. It's just stuff that we think up. We think up and it doesn't, we don't have to attach ourselves to it. Many people do, but we don't have to do that. We can, that's what meditation is, which is what meditation supports, right? It's like, which is what meditation does. You sit there and you observe your thoughts. Just let it go. When it comes up, just let it go. You don't have to attach. You don't have to identify with it. It just is. And so having that skill, being aware of that concept and having practiced that through this course, I was able to really quickly just like accept the fact that, first of all, I knew I was completely safe. I knew I was physically safe. And secondly, it's like, you know what? If eating up my body is what makes you happy and there's nothing I can do about it, all I can do is accept. There's no point of resisting. There's no point in resisting. There, I can't, cannot resist. And so I just accepted that and ex surrendered to that. And very quickly, that all went away and it basically shot up into heaven. And so how that looked like was yawning out the galaxies for sure. And I was bridged between, I was like in between two worlds. The, the world, uh, one world was when I had my eyes opened and I can see everything, like my surrounding, where I was. And when I, lo when I looked up in the sky, there was this, if you can imagine, um, 
you know little kids when they, they blow bubbles and there's this like when you see the bubble floating you, there's this like rainbow film that's what it looked like I was inside like a bubble almost and everything that I saw had this kind of shiny rainbow film to it but it was also it had different patterns like and it was um kind of like a rope it had different patterns and it was like interlocked and knotted together in a certain way uh, but it was translucent so I can see past it into everything that was you know actually there but I saw this through this lens through this like rainbow plastic lens um, and it felt like my grandma was the moon my grandma became the moon basically and you know grandmother Aya makes sense and and um, I was in a little crib and that's why I was like staring up at my grandma because she's looking at me. I was in a little crib and she just wanted to look at me. She wanted to play with me, right? It's like, oh, it's a baby. Pe people usually want to cuddle them or want to play with them or, you know, like want to make them, uh, want to make them happy. So every time I looked up into the sky, that's the feeling that I had. I was like, I was like a little child again. I was so happy that my grandma is looking down on me and is paying attention to me and just like wants me to be happy. When I closed my eyes, I was in a different world. It wasn't very visual for me, but it was more downloads of just like knowledge, like just knowing. You just, I just knew like, oh, this is like factual. Like this is what happened. So a lot of my past life stuff came up. So I've been Asian for many, many, many lives. Um, I've been an empress. I've been royalty. I've been very successful. I've been, you know, all this stuff. And that, that really was... A reminder to me that that is in my cards that is who I am that is my identity and it has been in all these past lives and therefore it is in this life and so there's no reason why I need to be doubting myself success is in my cards it's going to happen so in this Aya ceremony um, I was given assignments <laughs> I was given assignments to to help the psychedelic industry. It's still very nascent, it's budding. Um, and I, I somehow needed to figure out how to help this industry grow and the people in it because it is for the greater good. You know, everybody needs to heal. Whether they want to do it or not, that's a separate question, but you know, psychedelic medicine, plant medicine, fungi, toad medicine, like it's all there for the same purpose. And it is very much a medicine. I think most things are pretty neutral and how you use it determines if it's bad or good, um, which is also very subjective and relative. I know that there's a lot of social stigma still attached to it, especially back in the 60s and 70s and like the whole campaign with President Nixon and whatnot. Um, which is why now 40 or whatever, 50 years later, we're now making this comeback, right? There's the renaissance, the psychedelic renaissance. It's coming back, the third wave of it. And so I really want to help fight the good fight. And that is, it is medicine. It's not drug. If you, you know, people can use it for therapeutic reasons, purposes. People can use it for recreational purposes as well. But like do it in the right set and setting. Do it with the right intentions right? Um, do the work to prepare for it. Do the integration work. 
afterwards to incorporate what you learned from that journey into your life so you can actually better yourself. So you can do all this healing work and become a better version of you. And once many people are the better versions of ourselves, imagine how that's going to impact our world. Right? We're coming into the age of Aquarius. This is going to happen. We're coming into the age of Aquarius. We're coming into 2022. We've had this global pandemic for the last few years now. Um, you know, a lot of people are waking up. A lot of people are seeking the medicine out. But do it in a way where it is responsible. Right? Educate yourself on the work, the preparation and integration work. Because that is really where the magic is. The journey is the journey, which is great. But if you're not going to be incorporating it into your life on a regular basis, if you're not going to be taking the actions to better yourself, why do it? Right? And that is why I've chosen to dedicate Aikida to helping psychedelic therapists, coaches, and guides, and sitters. Because the, these are the people who will be guiding you on your own journey. You are your own healer, right? They're just there facilitating. They're there helping you through it. They're there supporting you. But really, I think the public, those who are interested in starting this work, should educate themselves. That is why we are inviting leaders in our space to talk about their work and how they can be helping the general public heal and evolve. And that wraps up my story. Take what resonates and discard the rest. Um, let me know how I can help you on your journey. I hope we can help educate people and bring more awareness and shed some light on some things that are still very much underground and kept in the dark because of legality, because of social stigma, because it is not accepted in our societal standards. It's not conventional. And for those who are seeking to learn alternative ways, holistic ways, um, I hope this serves as a resource for you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for connecting. Catch you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Akita Agency. We transform overwhelmed healers into liberated leaders with our signature Akita Liberation Loop Method. We help psychedelic therapists and coaches evolve from a one-to-one to a one-to-many client model by co-creating evergreen funnels that lead to online courses and group coaching programs. We have a special gift for our listeners, a complimentary bite-sized training series to level up your evergreen funnel knowledge. If you're not familiar with or feel overwhelmed with marketing, sales, and funnels, then this training is for you. Just go to akitaagency.com slash tutorial. Thank you for listening to the Liberated Leader Podcast. If you found value in today's episode, then please, one, leave us a positive review, share it with a friend. Two, join our tribe on social. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Until next time, to your liberation and beyond.